My name is Andrew Bustamante, and this is Everyday Espionage. In the United States, most of us don't have positive experiences when it comes to dealing with salespeople. Oftentimes it feels like we are sold something that we never really wanted, even though we went out with the intention of buying something that we did want. When I left CIA, I found myself head-to-head with many salespeople. When I was buying a car, when I was buying my house, when I was booking reservations for hotels. And time and time again, I saw very clearly that there were tactics that these salespeople were taking that were clear to me because of the training I had received at CIA. In response to those tactics, I used the skills and training that I had received at CIA to push back and to renegotiate and ultimately to take control of that buying experience. As I reflected on that knowledge, on that training that I received, I couldn't help but think that it was a perfect topic to share in my first international webinar, First Strike. After the successful launch of First Strike as an international webinar, I wanted to strip the audio and share it with you here on the Everyday Espionage podcast. I apologize in advance because the webinar audio isn't anywhere near the level of quality that you're used to with the podcast itself. But if you're willing to bear with a little bit of digitized audio from a computer, then I'm hopeful that you'll find the content inside useful. So without further ado, I share with you First Strike how to beat salespeople at their own game. Now, when I conceptualized the idea of First Strike, what I wanted to do was share with everybody my experiences as a trained intelligence officer engaging salespeople. And it's interesting because salespeople, they're just people, right? They're not good people or bad people. They're just people. They're people trying to hash out a life, trying to hash out a career like anybody else. But what makes them different is that salespeople make up almost 5% of the entire American population. There are 13 to 18 million sales staff in the United States as we speak. Salespeople outnumber almost every other industry that's out there. And on top of that, the amount of money that goes into training people in the sales industry tops out the list of all training funds for all other areas except for the U.S. military. That means the only people trained better than salespeople are those people who are actually carrying weapons or working to defend our national borders. What are these salespeople getting in their training that constitutes so much spend and what makes that spend worth it? What we often joke about at CIA is that human intelligence officers, covert intelligence officers, are actually just glorified salesmen. Only the product that we're selling is espionage. We are selling people on the idea that it's in their best interest to commit espionage against their country, to become traitors when they are trusted patriots. And the same process, the same step-by-step process that we use to take them along the line, the slippery slope from patriot to traitor. That's the same process that salespeople use to take you from a lead to an actual sale. That's the same process, that process of development, of engagement, of identifying vulnerabilities, 
of creating and crafting the perfect pitch, and then of course to closing the deal. That was kind of an enlightening experience, an enlightening discovery for me. And I really wanted to find a way to share it with you because I feel like this is one of those areas where espionage really presents itself in real life. And since Everyday Spy is all about showing espionage in everyday life, this was the perfect way to start that conversation. Now, you know who I am, but who are you? You are just like me. You are parents, you are partners, you are everyday people. There's a misnomer, a misunderstanding in our world, thanks to Hollywood, that spies are something special, that we are some kind of superhuman that exists in everyday life. And then we're plucked up and we're recruited and we're found in our raw form, our raw superhuman form. And then we're plugged into these exciting missions. We already have the ability to speak seven languages. We are all you know, able to blend in seamlessly into any culture. We have outstanding shooting skills and we're found and we're put into the agency. That is not the case. So spies are not superhuman people. Spies are just normal everyday people. But the training is what makes us special. The training is what makes us different. Everyday spy is about showing, about sharing the pieces of that training with you because I remember what it's like to not have the skills that I have. I remember what it's like to go through life as an everyday person wondering whether or not there's anything special about me or whether or not I'm crazy because I see things differently than other people see things. I know that feeling and I know that the training is what makes it all come to life. The training is what bridges the gap. We live in a world where we all have to buy. You can't survive in this world without buying things. Sometimes you're buying a house, sometimes you're buying a car, sometimes you're buying diapers. Every one of us buys milk and bread. We have to buy. Buying is a fact of life. And we all love to buy. What we don't love is being sold. And there's a very distinct difference between buying and being sold. Even as I tell you this, you can feel that difference. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the difference between when you buy something because you want it and when you buy something because it's on sale or you buy something because what you really wanted was sold out. When you're sold something you never wanted because some salesman convinced you to settle. Because the real difference between buying and being sold is control. And for those of you who know Everyday Spy, for those of you who follow my podcast, if you follow the website, you know that control is what the brand is all about. Control is what I'm here to teach. Control is what I walked away from CIA having in my hip pocket for the rest of my life. And that's what we're all looking for. That's what we all want in life is some semblance of control, more control, the kind of control that allows us to have confidence that we're going to reach our objectives instead of being out of control or even worse, feeling like someone else is in control. Someone else is in control of your career, of your paycheck, of your daily schedule, of your weekly commute. Someone else is in control of your taxes. Someone else is in control of when you retire. If you retire, we all know the anxiety that comes from feeling like we are not in control. I want to help share some of the confidence that comes when you know that you are the one in control. First strike is exactly that. It's a chance for us to talk about how we take control in a sales situation. Because we all love to buy, because we all have to buy, we might as well be the ones in control when we buy. So our mission today is a mission to take control. It's 
clear and it's simple. Everything that I'm going to teach you today boils down to you being in control. You being in control of, of every purchase, of every negotiation, you being in control when you sit across the table from a salesperson. That's what it's all about. So I wanna start by talking about three secrets that salespeople don't want you to know. Secret number one is that salespeople must sell. It might seem silly, it might seem obvious at first, but think about that. Salespeople have to sell, they must sell. If they do not sell, they will lose their job, right? This is not something they do because they love it. This is not something they do because it's nice to do. This isn't something that someone said, hey, if you've got some free time, come in and sell cars or come in and sell mattresses or come in and sell TVs. This is a career, it's a job. They have to sell. They have to successfully convert leads into sales. If they don't, they will lose their job. I told you that there's about 13 million salespeople in the US right now. Of that 13 million, of that 5% of the US population, less than 62% actually meet their sales quota. Think about that. Just over half of all salespeople actually meet their quota. The other half do not meet their quota. That, that means that if you are in any other job, if you are a dentist, if you are a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a garbage man, if you're whatever you might be, half of the people in your industry are not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not meeting the minimum. 62% hit their quota and that's it. Everyone else does not. When you sit across the table from a salesperson, they have to sell. If they don't sell to you, then they have that much more pressure to sell to the next person who comes across their table. And how many people went across their table before you ever sat down? How many times are they getting rejected and missing the sale before you even show up as a possible purchaser? So understand, salespeople have to sell. They are not in control. They are not the ones who have the power in the dialogue. They are trained and they are experienced in sales. So they want you to feel like you can trust them. They want you to feel like they're in control. They want you to feel like they know what they're talking about because they want the sale. They need the sale or else they're gonna fail. They don't want to fail. They don't wanna be part of that 45% turnover. They don't wanna be out on the streets finding a new job. They don't know if they're gonna be selling windows on one day or if they're gonna sell insurance another day or if they're gonna be stuck selling cars. They don't know and that uncertainty is a strong motivator for them to do their job, do it well, and do it ruthlessly. Very rarely do we ever have a ruthless thought in our head when we go to make a purchase. We think it would be nice to have a discount, it would be nice to catch a, to catch a break, but essentially, we're there because we want something. We need a car, or we want a pair of shoes, or whatever it might be. These salespeople, they're not there because they want to be there. They're there because they have to be there. They have to make the sale. So the first secret they don't want you to understand is that they have to sell. They're there because if they don't sell, they're gonna be somewhere else. So know that secret and, and we'll talk more about why, why it's powerful and how it can be used as an advantage for you. The second secret is that people, you and me and everyone else, people buy with emotion, but we justify our purchases with logic. Why is that important? 
It's important because you can't trust emotion, first and foremost, because your emotions come from a part of your brain that bypass your decision-making capability. So when you buy with emotion, essentially what that means is that you're buying from a place where you're not even making the decision. You're buying because of an emotional response. And then after you make the purchase, after you make the decision because of the emotion, then logic kicks in and you start to defend your decision with logic. If you are already following the Everyday Spy website, you know that that is false logic. Having a reasoned defense for a decision that you made that was an emotional decision is a logical fallacy. It's a flaw in your thinking. So this secret, this tool, this truth that salespeople know is that you and I will buy emotionally. And then after we have made the purchase, we're going to suddenly start to defend our own decision, our own purchase. In the rare instances where we don't justify well enough, where we start to have an emotional response to our emotional purchase, that's called buyer's remorse. And every salesperson out there, every spy out there is trained to deal with buyer's remorse. We are trained to see it, identify it, and we know exactly how to turn it back over itself so that we can get people to start to react emotionally again to their purchase so that they can come back and land again on reasoned logic to defend their purchase. So as an example, if you buy a car that's outside of your budget, right? You're going to feel really good. You're going to feel good when you see the car, when you get the deal on the car, when you drive it off the lot, when you go home, you look great in your new car. You post it all over social media. This is my new car. It's great. And then you might wake up the next day and be like, how am I going to afford this thing? This is outside of everything that I can realistically afford. So then you start to freak out and fear is the emotion that counterbalances the good feeling that you had previously. Maybe you call the dealership, you call the salesman, maybe you take it back. You start to show remorse. And as soon as they see, as soon as the salesperson sees that remorse, they know that they have to take that emotion. They have to shape your emotion back to a positive emotion, back to the place where you're happy and you're excited to show off your new car. You've earned the right for this car. You work hard. You deserve to have a nice car, right? They're going to find a way to, to flip that back to an emotional place where you are triggered with positive emotions because they just need to send you back home. You're not going to keep going through a cycle of emotional breakdown that brings you back for more remorse, right? Instead, all we need to do, all the salesperson, all the spy needs to do is convince you that there's a positive emotion tied to your decision and let you do the rest because you will rationalize it. You'll either rationalize it because you don't want to embarrass yourself further by continuing to go back. You don't want to admit that you made a mistake. You don't want to admit to your friends on social media that you purchased something that was outside of your budget. There's all sorts of emotions that boil over in a purchasing situation. I love my wife to death. I have always, always teased her about shoes because she is super picky about her feet. Shoes have to fit her heel exactly right. They have to fit her toes and the ball of her foot exactly right. She never knows if shoes are going to be comfortable or not until after she's walked a mile in the shoes. So whenever she buys shoes, it's always a crapshoot whether or not the shoe is actually going to survive past the first mile. But shoes, you can return shoes anywhere. I mean, whether it's online or whether it's a shoe store, as long as you haven't basically destroyed the shoe, you can take it back and they're going to switch it out. The margins on shoes are so high, salespeople and shoe stores, they just want to push the product. If it comes back, it goes back to a, a warehouse and they're, they're covered. It's no big deal. But regardless, 
my wife never wants to return the shoes. She always has some defense for why she should keep the shoes. Sometimes the defense is, well, my foot might be swollen right now, or maybe it'll be a good shoe for me to wear in cold weather, or maybe it's just the socks that are making the shoe feel tight. There's always some kind of seemingly logical reason why she should keep the shoes. The idea of admitting that she should have never bought them or that they didn't really fit right, whatever it might be, she does not want to return the shoes. But it's a perfect example of how we buy with emotions. We buy because we are excited to look good in a pair of shoes. We are excited to start a new workout and a new pair of running shoes. We have big plans. Salespeople know this. Now you need to know this too. Secret number three is that salespeople love competition. Salespeople are born competitors. If they're not competitive by nature, then they don't last very long in a sales job. And especially those of you who are on the phone who are in sales or who have experience with sales, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the lifeblood of sales, the idea that you can and want to compete. Salespeople normally get paid about 50% of their earning potential. And the remaining 50% is incentives to sell. There are people who get paid on commission. There are people who get their bonuses based off of total sales. Salespeople thrive on competition. They love competition. And when they see you walk in, essentially, you are the competitor. It's you versus them. Are they going to make the sale or are you going to walk out? Are they going to get the highest price or are you going to negotiate for the lower price? It's this game. And that's why they don't get tired. They are in the arena. They are fighting the tiger, right? It is sales. There's a reason that you see so many salespeople who have backgrounds in college athletics and high school athletics. They are avid fans of sports on TV. Salespeople who do well love competition and people who do not do well with competition find their way out of sales. They find their way into something else. So remember, salespeople love competition. Salespeople must sell. People buy with emotion and justify with logic, and salespeople love competition. These are the three secrets that salespeople don't want anyone to know, because as soon as people start to understand these secrets, people will start to understand the mind of a salesperson. Just knowing the secrets isn't enough. What we actually have to do is know how to use these secrets, how to use them for our own advantage. So the first secret is that salespeople must sell. And the way that we use this to our advantage is that we can control when. We can control when they sell. We know they have to sell. They know they have to sell. They want to spend as little time as possible on each new lead so they can get us to say yes, flip the sale, and get that much closer to their quota or that much closer to filling up their, their end of month bonus. The place where they have no control is when we choose to buy. They can almost control if we buy. If they know the right thing to say, if they know how to pull the right emotional lever, they can get you to buy almost anything, but they don't have any control over when you choose to buy. Knowing that they must sell is powerful because you have the ability to choose when, when they sell. They should only sell to you when it's in your best interest. As an example, every salesperson has a quota. The quota usually comes up at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter. When do you think you're going to get the best price on whatever you're trying to buy? At the end of the month 
or at the end of the quarter. Because if they haven't met their quota, they are gonna be all in to try to meet it at that point in time. If you try to approach a salesperson at the beginning of the month or at the beginning of the quarter, you're gonna be the lowest priority on their radar. They just survived the previous quarter or they just survived the previous month. They're in coast mode for a few weeks at least. It's time for them to celebrate the paycheck that they just got. They'll worry about their quota in a few days or in a few weeks, long after you are frustrated with the fact that nobody helped you. You've seen this. You've seen this in every car buying experience you've had. You've seen this when you walk into a shopping mall. You've seen there's times that people care and there's times that people don't care. So the way that you take the power from them is that you control when they sell. When you control the timing, when you control the when, you get the highest possible value, the lowest possible price, and you have all the negotiating power, all the leverage in the conversation because they have to make that sale. They are up against a wall. They have to close or else they're going to be part of that 28% of salespeople out there who are not meeting quota. So you control when, and that's how you take control, take advantage of the fact that they have to sell. Now, our second secret is that people buy with emotion and justify with logic. How do we take that? How do we flip this to our advantage? We do it by making the salesperson emotional first. Make them emotional first. Because the first person to struggle with emotions is the person who's gonna break down. The person who's in control is the person who is not making emotional decisions. Let's consider the first two secrets together. If you control the when and you show up to buy something at the end of the month, right away, as soon as you walk in the door, there's an emotional response on the part of that salesperson because they're gonna get excited, they're gonna get hopeful, they're gonna be like, okay, this is a chance. I've gotta make this sale, I've gotta close this deal or else I'm in a world of hurt. I only have an eight hour workday or I don't wanna have a 12 or 15 hour workday. So I've gotta make every minute count. I've gotta make every hour count. They want the sale, they need the sale. They've gotta make the sale. They're afraid of what happens if they don't make the sale. And if they're the ones operating from a place of fear, then they're the ones getting emotional first. All of their tools, all of their training is built around them not getting emotional, around them making you emotional. That's their job. Their job is to sell you on a dream, on a hope, they're completely unaware, they're unprepared when they come to the table afraid or when they come to the table nervous or when they come to the table intimidated. So you get them there first. If you can get them to the place where they're making the emotional decisions first, where they're the ones showing emotion first, you can have basically anything you wanna have. They need that sale so desperately and you can all of a sudden control that dialogue. You can control that conversation because you understand they have to sell you're in control of when they sell and they are an emotional wreck, which means anything that they choose to do, they're going to rationalize their decision with logic. It works both ways, whether you're the one buying the shoes or whether they're the ones selling the shoes, the person who gets emotional first will lose. And that person will also go on to justify their loss with logic. And they will try to find a way to reason their way through why they got emotional and why the decision they made was a good decision in the end. Make them emotional first. Now, the last secret that we know is that salespeople love competition. They love competition, so you have to tell them how to win and tell them exactly how to win your business, exactly how to win that sale. If you can make them believe that they will continue to win you as a repeat customer, 
Now all of a sudden you are absolutely in control of that conversation. Before I left for UAE, I was in a place where we didn't know exactly when we would get the security clearances that we need, the country clearances that we need, the start date that we were gonna get. It was kind of in a situation where we were a little bit in flux. So I had to find a hotel that was going to house us for a period that was in flux, house me and my wife and a family of four, plus my sister who was moving out here with us, plus all of our luggage. It was a weird kind of request, a weird conversation to have. So I was talking to a Hilton hotel outside of Washington, DC, and they had their daily rates. And no matter who I talked to, the reservation people all said the same thing. They said, if you can tell us how long you'll be here, we can give you a promotion or you can go online and you can buy it that way or you can buy two weeks at a time and pay whatever the going rate is. I didn't want to do any of that. That put them in control. Every conversation I was having, I was the one who wasn't able to control when. So I had to find a way to flip that on its head. So I found one specific hotel. I called that hotel directly. Instead of calling the international reservation line, I called that hotel directly to speak to the sales rep for that hotel, the person who's in charge of selling conference rooms and the person who's in charge of selling blocks of rooms for hotel or for wedding parties or whatever else. I found that person who is a salesperson who is intimately invested in meeting a certain sales quota every month. I called that person at the end of the month and I told them my situation. And I said to them, if you can give me a competitive rate, I will stay with you for the entirety of my stay, whether it's two weeks or whether it's two months, I will not leave your hotel if you can give me a competitive rate. And she worked, she worked hard to give me a rate that was competitive online, competitive against uh, the other hotels in the, in the area. Now, when she finally gave me that rate, I told her, this is a good rate, but my previous company had me staying in Marriott's all around the country. They're gonna give me some kind of special deal because I'm a Silver Elite member, but I don't want to go with Marriott. I want to go with Hilton. I like Hilton more. It's more convenient to me to go with Hilton. Can you just help me get a price that beats Marriott? And all of a sudden, when she was at the lowest possible price that she could get, when I mentioned to her that she would win my business over Marriott, she made it happen. Because what I did is I told her how to win. I knew that she wanted to win. She's a salesperson. Of course she wants to win, but she doesn't know exactly how to win. So you have to tell them how to win. When you tell them how to win, you will be amazed at what they are willing to do to win you. Not even because it's the right thing to do, not even because it's in their best interest. They just want to win. They want to beat the competition. So remember these three tactics and how these three tactics pair with the three secrets. You control when, you need to make them emotional first, and then you need to tell them how they can win. These three tactics will pair with the three secrets so that you are in control of every sales situation. I don't care if you're buying a cup of coffee, I don't care if you're negotiating for the majority share of, of another business. If you control the sales experience, then you will be the one who ends up in the best possible position coming out. I hope you enjoyed First Strike, and I want you to know that I plan on hosting more webinars like this in the future. So if you have not found your way to EverydaySpy.com, please go to the website now. On the website, you'll see a place where you can leave me an email address that subscribes to the newsletter that I post every week. 
That newsletter is where I announce upcoming webinars. It's where I announce current events. It's where I announce what's new in the world of EverydaySpy.com. I would love to see you at the next webinar I host because sharing knowledge is how we win every day. And that is Everyday Espionage. Everyday Espionage is dedicated to one thing, educating everyday people. I know that not everybody will listen, but those who listen will learn. If you learned something new today, click subscribe, review, and share the podcast with a friend. I have so much more to share with you. Find me on social media at Everyday Spy or on my website, www.everydayspy.com. And if you are up for a special challenge, check out Operation Real Time and let me take you on an authentic spy training mission. Above all else, remember that knowledge is freedom.